the very first of June, 2006, episode 33. The Rookie Designer, with your host, Adam Hay. Rookie Designer is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Let's take a look at the starting lineup. We get a lot of training and instruction throughout our design lives. Years of lectures, tests, and mock projects. But there are some things best learned by actually getting your hands dirty and learning more about your trade. Okay, well, maybe the dirty hands analogy wasn't the best one to use, but the fact is you can really get a lot out of experiencing all the aspects of your job firsthand. And there are even some things that will require you not just going to your daily job, but actually going a step further. Hi, this is Peter, your host for the Peter's Mac Tips podcast. Whether you're a switcher or a longtime user, listen in on the Peter's Mac Tips podcast, have your questions answered, see tutorials, get the latest in tips and tricks, and the latest Apple news. Head on over to the website at http colon forward slash forward slash petersmactips.libsyn.com. That's petersmactips.libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. So just a couple of pieces of internal news before we get started. Uh, I've been saying it for the last couple of weeks, but... Last month, we had excellent, excellent numbers for our voting on Podcast Alley. We actually ended up with about 55 votes, which is the most we've ever had. So I thank you for that. Thank you, everyone who voted for me. And as luck would have it, this show is actually airing on the first of the month. And if you don't know it by now, the first of every month, they actually clear all the votes and they start a new tally. So yes, I'm going to need you to go and vote for me again for the month of June. Now you can only vote once a month, but you can vote once a month, and I I really wish that you would. We kind of cemented ourselves in the number three spot in the education section last month, and I'd like to be there again. I don't have any aspirations of getting higher than that, because I think number two had about 175 votes, and I'm not really expecting numbers like that. But if we can get back up to where we were last month, that will make me very happy. I'm also very happy because the the downloads of this show have been climbing every week, every month. And I think we actually eclipsed the 12,000 download mark this month, or this last month rather. Uh, I think it's actually higher than that, but we did have the problems on the... uh, not the last podcast, but the one before that, the one I had the feed problems on, I actually didn't, wasn't able to track all the numbers on that. So we were missing one whole episode and I think we climbed over 10,000. So I'm just guessing that we're probably around 12,000, maybe a little bit above. So again, thank you everyone for listening. New listeners and old, I really appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you going back through all the archives and listening and giving me your feedback on those as well. It's nice to see that, that people are still getting something out of all the old shows, even though they are old. 
I know we don't really talk about current events or anything like that, but it's nice to have a little library of things that you can go through and listen to and maybe get some inspiration from or some new ideas. And a lot of you have told me that you do. So thank you again for listening. It makes me feel very good when you guys write me and tell me that you're really getting something out of the podcast. That's the whole point of the thing. And, uh, well, I just enjoy it. You may have noticed if you are a watcher of the Quick Tips for Designers podcast that I didn't have one on Tuesday. This was mainly due to my laziness. Uh, Of course, it was the holiday weekend. I had a lot of plans. I probably did a little too much drinking and I was recovering and wasn't able to get a podcast done in time. But I am going to do one for Friday. It'll be released probably Friday morning and I think I'm going to do a couple of things in InDesign and maybe their equivalents in Quark as well. So tune in for that one if you do watch that podcast. And I'm sorry for not putting it out on Tuesday, but well, everybody needs a little vacation sometimes, right? All right, so today we're going to be talking about how we can learn a little bit more about our trade. And as I pointed out in the intro, we go to school or most of us have gone to school, or maybe you take some kind of training, maybe you go to seminars, maybe you teach yourself out of a book. And this will go even more so for you if you if you go that route. If you teach yourself, if you don't go to school and actually get the theory behind everything. Now, if you do go to school, you probably sat through hours of lecture. Now, this wasn't exactly the case in my school. My school was more of a trade school where, where it's supposed to be like hands-on all the time. But there was some lecture. I mean, when it's necessary, they give you the background, where it came from. And that can go for print work. That can go for video, obviously. Uh, there's lots of history behind film and, and photography and audio and all this stuff. Obviously, it came from somewhere. It didn't just start out digital or start out the way that we do things now. So you probably got some lecture on that. And that's a good start. That probably helped. And you probably got this from professors with real-world experience. In most cases, your professors are going to be someone who has been in the business at least 10 years or 5 or 10 years, has been in multiple different positions. And you'll probably find this as you go along in your career. You kind of get to plateaus where things aren't as challenging as they should be anymore. And we've said before, if you get to that point, well, maybe it's time for you to move on to a different position, whether that be climbing the ladder in your own organization or design firm, or if you're just taking a new job and maybe going in a different direction. Maybe you want to get out of print and try some video stuff. But it's it's always a good idea to keep yourself challenged, because if you don't, you're just going to become bored, things will be stagnant, and it can really hurt your designing Now, your teachers probably described very intimate details about the jobs, but there there aren't always things that they can give you. So what they try and do, and this is the whole purpose of the mock projects, usually in school you'll get some kind of project, and this is meant to help you realize what a real work environment is like, because simply lecturing to you about it isn't going to be able to show you like what it's going to be like to actually work to work on a project, to work in a team of designers, to have deadlines that you have to meet. And I don't know about your teachers, but mine were pretty strict about it. I mean, your grade went down severely if you didn't make it by the deadline. 
And this is obviously meant to teach you because, you know, deadlines in the real world, if you don't make them, you start losing money or you start losing the entire job, which might lose your job. So uh, they try and teach you right off the bat that deadlines are the most important thing. You also learn about specifications. And, well, you try to learn. that There were people in my class who just didn't get it sometimes. We had a project that was a 30-second commercial, a video commercial. And you figure, you know, if this thing's going on TV, you have a 30-second slot. You paid for 30 seconds. Most commercials are about 30 seconds. They're not 31 seconds. They're not 35 seconds. They're 30 seconds. And some people just didn't get this. And they said, well, I had too much content. I I had to go over a little bit. Well, that's unacceptable. If a client in the real world comes to you and says, I need a 30-second commercial, you better make it 30 seconds, no more, no less. So it's to teach you about things like that as well. Of course, we can relate that in print to what size the the piece is, what size the document is, what the bleeds are. These are all the, the things that they try to teach you with these mock projects. And you also learn a little bit about rejection. Because in most cases, you have to take your your drafts, your thumbnails, your drafts, your final draft. You have to take these to your instructor, and he's going to tell you, yeah, that looks good, or no, go do it again. And this, of course, again, is, is supposed to mimic what a client will do. If they don't like something, they're going to tell you to do it again. But the thing is, with all this, you can't really duplicate real-world experiences to the T. First of all, the equipment that you're using is most likely going to be different. For print, uh, you should know from school when you print, uh, I think for most schools this should be the case, we were printing to either laser or inkjet printers, and you're not, send it, you're not actually sending it to an offset printer. So a lot of the things are different. Uh, you're restricted by paper sizes sometimes. The colors are not always going to come out the way they should because they look differently on an inkjet printer than they do, of course, on an offset printer. The stuff you are using might be much cheaper and less elaborate than the equipment that you might be using in the real world. And this is most likely going to be evident if you're working in video or audio. Now, the equipment that you use on a real audio production for TV or for actual uh, film or major motion films is quite obviously going to be a lot more expensive, a lot more in-depth, in-detail than the stuff that you're going to be using at your school. Now, the stuff at my school was pretty good. Uh, at the time, the big thing was just mini-DV. So we had a good about 3500 to $5,000 camera. We had a pretty decent light setup. We had okay microphone for, for on-the-set microphone. But again, this isn't even going to compare to something that's for TV. You're going to be dealing more in uh, probably beta or digi-beta. They're going to have a lot more elaborate things for audio. And the audio might actually be captured on-set. But in most cases, if it's something that's post-production, then you're going to end up doing the audio again with some serious equipment. And it's just going to be things like this, limitations that you have in school and maybe even on your real job as well. Because not every job can invest in all this kind of equipment. And that's definitely the case if you're an in-house designer. And I can say this from experience. We've done some video. We've done some audio. 
And it usually entails me using my own equipment because either they don't have any or what I have is better. But we have done stuff on some very cheap equipment and it makes a difference. You can tell in the end. And it will make a difference in what you know and what you know how to use. And as far as this kind of stuff goes, I think the only parallel that I can think of, and again, I'm not real deep into this, so don't get on me if I'm wrong about this, but the parallel that I see is web. This is some place where you don't have as many restrictions on you. Your colors are actually going to look as if they're going to look in your finished product, because obviously you're still going to be looking at it on a screen. Whereas we know that's different for print, colors tend to look different on your monitor than they do when they're actually printed out. So you have an advantage there when you're actually doing web stuff. Uh, again, I don't do a whole lot of web, so there could be some some things that you actually miss out on. But I think for the most part, that's pretty much the closest thing to actually, when you're building it, you're seeing what you're going to get in the end. Other differences that you might not get when you're in school are client reactions. Now, I said you might bring something to the teacher and they might say, that's not good enough, do it again. Most likely, and hopefully, they're not going to tell you it's a piece of crap. They're not going to tell you that they hate it. They're not going to totally get on your case for not doing what they said, even if you did do what they said. And these are things that can happen out in the real world. Now, hopefully this kind of stuff isn't going to happen if you're working at a firm, but I can definitely say that if you're working freelance, you're probably going to encounter some people like this. And again, we've talked about this in the past. There can be some real bad situations with some bad clients. And what you do as a freelancer is try to avoid it, but you also have to be ready for it. And the only way you can do that is by going through it once before and knowing that this is the kind of stuff you don't want to deal with. But if you do have to deal with it, you know, just get through it. Also, deadlines in school are pretty solid. They're on a certain lesson plan. You need to be done with a certain amount of projects by the end of your class. Therefore, it's kind of broken down and your deadlines are pretty hard. They're not going to be moving around. In the real world, things might happen. Uh, a client may go over budget and need to you know, put something off for a little while. Something might happen to you if you're freelancing. And this is something that I would recommend you put into your contract. But let's say you're working on a freelance project and you get sick, like so deathly ill that you cannot work. Well, this is something that's going to postpone the project. And at this point, this is why I say put it in the contract. You have to have something in your contract saying that if something happens to you and you can't meet the deadline, then you're not going to be penalized for that. Now, they may need the thing, even though you can't work on it and take it somewhere else. And that's something to be talked about at a later date. But you need to really cover yourself that way because you never know what's going to happen. Things happen and you might actually need to stop working on a project. These are the type of things that you probably wouldn't encounter in school, of course. But these are things that can actually happen. Well, we talked about school, but... I also kind of wanted to talk about work as well because, well, I said also that sometimes you have to go beyond just going into your job, going to your regular job, punching the ticket, and just doing what you do every day. Now, you may have a job that maybe is a little more behind the scenes. Maybe you're working in print, you're sending off files to the printer, 
and you may not interact with the printer much. Uh, in my job, I do actually interact with the printer quite a bit, and this is to my advantage, as we'll talk about a little bit later. But maybe you're in a team of several designers and you have an art director or somebody that's above you that's, that's the key contact person that's in, in touch with the printer, and maybe you have nothing to do with it. Maybe you are editing video and you don't actually get to go on the set while they're filming. You just uh, That's probably not going happen, to happen in most cases, but it could. Maybe you're working for a wedding video outfit and there's two people that go on the shoot and actually shoot. And this is where I could see this maybe happening. Two people go on the shoot. You don't want some extra people there because it's somebody's wedding. You know, you don't want to bring extra people there and have them walking around while the wedding's going on. So maybe they bring their footage back and you're doing the editing. Another one, maybe you manipulate photos. Maybe you're like a photo retoucher, but you're not actually the person that's on the photo shoot, not the person that's taking the pictures or even assisting the photographer. These are all things that, these are all situations that you might be able to go a step further and actually learn a little bit more about your trade by learning more about what happens before you actually get these files or before you actually send them off to someone else to have them finished. The Keys to the Game, brought to you by techpodcast.com. Our shortcut for today is to add a rule above or below, and we're going to do this in both InDesign and Quark so we can cover all the users. You might be asking yourself, well, what good is this going to do me? I thought about this a little bit, and it actually came up in one of the projects that I was doing. I needed to use it, and I was having a hard time finding it. I remembered how to do it in Quark, but I didn't know in InDesign. So I figured it out, and I thought I'd share it. And because this is something that's a little bit obscure, this is actually what I'm going to be going over in the Quick Tips for Designers that's going to come out on Friday. So our key commands are, for the Mac in InDesign, we're going to press Command, Option, and J. On the PC, Control, Alt, and J. If we're working in Quark to get the same result, we're going to, on the Mac, press Command, Shift, N. And on the PC, Control, Shift, N. In the first half of the program, we kind of pointed out situations where we, not, we might not be getting the whole story. There might be areas where we can go take a look at, maybe dig a little bit deeper into the either the pre-production or the post-production of the files that we're working on and find out a little bit more about our trade, more so that it can help us. So what do we do to combat this problem of not knowing enough about what we're doing? The first thing that we can do is internships. And these are generally taken when you're in school or shortly thereafter. It's really a great tool for learning from a veteran, learning from somebody who's been in the business for a while. And there's nothing better for you when you're in school or coming out of school than to be able to learn from somebody who's been in for a while. I mean, that's really the whole point of this show, right? I've actually been in for a few years, and I'm sharing my experiences with you guys who maybe haven't been in as long as me or haven't been in the business at all. It's a good thing. You can learn a lot of stuff because there are certain things that you learn once you get on the job. 
once you're thrown in the fire, you can learn new things that you wouldn't have learned in school. And this is what we were talking about before. Now, I did have a very short internship when I was in the latter stages of my school. Actually, it was the first time I went to school. I went to school first and got my associate's degree. My internship really wasn't that good. And if you're ever in a situation like this, uh, it's not good to make a, a commitment and back out of it. But if you get in a situation like this, I would seriously think about it. I was basically stuck in an office. He threw me in, in this room with a computer, with all the software I needed, and gave me some projects. This really isn't the point of an internship. That's kind of like slave labor, as I see it. Nobody's giving you any kind of instruction. I mean, he would, he would give me the specs of the project, but I didn't get to work with somebody else who could help me move into the job, help me learn things about what I was supposed to be doing. It was just kind of like, okay, here's another project for you. It was basically as good as being in school where I got a little bit of direction, but I didn't have somebody there to lean on. And again, if you're in a situation like this, this isn't really what an internship is made for. An internship is supposed to be about you learning from somebody else, not about you doing work for somebody and getting paid almost nothing for it, or maybe getting paid nothing for it at all. But if you do have an opportunity to do an internship, I don't want to scare anybody away by saying this, there are tons of good ones out there. Uh, just make sure that you get in, in an internship with a good company, and usually your school is going to be the one to monitor this, and they should be able to place you in a good company, some company that they know that you're going to have a lot of support around you to help you learn. Because again, that's the point. Now, once you're actually out there working, this might be very hard for you or maybe even impossible to take a, an internship because of the hours. Uh, I would actually love to go back and take an internship. Uh, one of my teachers told me that was a very good way and a way that he knew one of the other students had done to get into video, video production. Got an internship with a local news station, started out by editing stuff that probably wasn't going to go up on the air, moved his way up into editing stuff that was for the news, and then worked his way into a job. And that's the other great thing about internships is if you like where you're working, a lot of times that can be your foot in the door. That can be a way to get into the job because they've already seen you work. They don't have to uh, go over your resume and your demo reel, and they don't have to do any kind of trial process because they've already done that. They've already seen your work ethic, your skills, how you work, and a lot of times they'll hire you right out of your internship. And of course, that's a good thing. If you don't have to go through that whole treacherous process of looking for jobs and applying for jobs and trying out for them, then definitely that's a great way to go. Now, we are already pointed out that there are even some things that are missed out just by going to your regular job and doing that. So how do we get even more in touch with our trade? A lot of these next points have to do with visiting other places. As I said before, either the pre-production of the files that you work on, or maybe the post-production of the files that you work on. If you work in print, there are actually things about the process or the colors that you may not know. The best way to learn this is to actually take a tour of your printer's place of business. Now, you can ask if your company has a printer that they use all the time, you can ask them. You could probably just call one up out of the phone book, and they'll probably 
give you the chance to take a tour on the hopes that they're actually going to get the business of your company. So it shouldn't be that hard to do. I did this just recently and our printer had actually moved to a new location and we wanted to get the grand tour. And this was a great idea too. And this might be an idea for some of you in-house designers out there. I took my marketing manager with me, which was great because she was asking questions. She was learning a lot about the printing process and it's really good for them to know these things. Also, if you're a visual learner, like I definitely am, then you can really learn a lot from just going in and looking at the machinery that they use. Uh, One case in point, we actually were looking at one of the large machines and uh, he was explaining how the difference between if you're using spot colors or four color process. And this is something that's very, very easy to understand when you look at the machine because they have the different stations where they drop in each of the colors. So if you're printing only four color process color, you're only going to have four different areas or four different inks and then probably a varnish on the end. So you can use probably the smaller presses that don't have the capability of doing as many colors. Now, if you introduce a couple of different Pantone colors to that and you're using four color process, well, now you need four different inks for the process plus two others for the Pantone colors and probably one more for the varnish at the end. So you can see this is going to be a more expensive job for you because for one thing, you have two extra colors. For another thing, if you want to run all these at the same time, you need a very large machine to be able to hold all those inks. So it's just a good way to to visualize what's going on at the printer, to estimate certain things as we talked about, like pricing. And again, I said, you know, it's a great idea to take somebody maybe in your marketing department so that they can understand as well what is going on and what you're talking about when you're talking about four color versus Pantone versus whatever. What if you work more just with photos? Let's say you do retouching. Have you ever been on a photo shoot? There is several things that you can learn by actually going on the photo shoot and maybe not even being the photographer yourself, although I would say that's a very good idea. If you work in photo retouching, I would hope that you at least do some kind of photography, maybe as a hobby or, you know, at least know something about it because it's going to help you immensely. Things that you can learn on the photo shoot, uh, you can learn a lot about composition, about different lighting techniques and what the lighting should actually look like. Uh, As I said before, if you take pictures yourself, this is also going to help you even more because you're the one who's actually looking through the camera yourself. And it's a lot easier to learn about composition if you're doing that yourself rather than just assisting somebody. You can really learn the principles of quote-unquote good photography. And this deals with different colors, different contrast, lighting, composition. These are all things that are going to help you in your retouching. And I think one of the most important things and one of the best reasons to go on a photo shoot to learn about these things is when you have to fake these effects in Photoshop. You need to know how to make it look realistic. If you're going to fake and put in some light that wasn't actually there, you need to know how that's supposed to look if it was actually done in real life. You need to know where shadows fall. You need to know how much contrast might be in a certain area and how much might not be in a different, different area. So these are all good things that you can learn if you actually go on the photo shoot, or as I said, once again, you actually take photos yourself. 
What if you work with video? You do editing or effects. You're mainly post-process. This is going to relate a lot to the photography. You could go on a shoot and learn more about the production itself. And with this, there's even more things that go on at the uh, video or film shoot than on a photo shoot. But there's a lot of the things, a lot of the same things that you can learn from this. Uh, the lighting again, the composition, these type of things hold true in both photography and video or film. But if you go on the, the film shoot, you can also learn about audio. There's a lot of pre-planning that goes on. It can also help you to catch on to the actual vision of the director or wh whoever's in charge. It can help you get the feeling of what they're wanting to feel, what they're trying to portray in their video. And this, of course, could be a very good thing. If they just come in with some footage for you and you start working on it kind of blindly. And again, in most cases, this isn't going to happen. At least what would happen is the director would sit there with you and go through the footage with you. But let's say that didn't happen. I mean, you're, you're going to be missing quite a bit of the feeling, quite a bit of what's supposed to be portrayed in that video if you're just going through it by yourself and you weren't there on the set to, to know what was going on. So again, and plus it's fun. We, I, I had one of my majors was video production in school and we had to get into these groups and we had to film little pieces of video and everybody had their job. We actually had grips. We had uh, a boom operator. We had everything that you could imagine, everything that, that would be on a small video shoot anyways. And it was really fun. It was a lot of fun and it's a great experience. It's something that you really should experience if you work with video at all. One thing we also did or had to do when we were in that video production class is basically go around and work with the different groups so that you worked in every different position. You had to be the director of photography, the director, the producer, everything under the sun to give you an idea of what each of those jobs really has to do. And if you know everything that goes into a production like this, it'll really give you a better idea of what should come out of it. You know that a lot of hard work went into it. And I think that gives you a sense or a feeling that you shouldn't just kind of throw the frames together and just slap it all together real quick and just come up with something because for the sake of, of finishing the project. You know that these people spent a lot of sweat and tears getting this thing to you and you need to take it to the next level and really make it realize what they dreamed of. Now, again, talking about web, I'm not really sure there's much you can do here because you don't have the same end result or pre-production limitations. Basically, when you're in production, you're seeing what's going to be the finished product already. Now, this is, of course, assuming that you're testing on different platforms for different browsers. And if you're in web design, hopefully you already know this and I shouldn't have to tell you. But as long as you do that, then your results should be pretty much what you already know that they're going to be while you're producing the content. Something you might be able to do if you're a front-end worker, maybe you can go and, and converse and get to know the back-end people and get to know a little bit about what's going on there. Now, you're not necessarily going to dive deep into it and start learning their code, but you might just get to know what's going on because if you're in this kind of position, you're probably going to be working back and forth with these people. And the same goes vice versa. If you're a back-end coder, get to know those front-end people. Uh, I'm going to assume that most of us would be front-end people because we deal more with design than we do with functionality and hard coding. 
But either way, you should be in touch and working closely with the people that actually have something to do with the outcome of your projects. And there's a lot of other things that I didn't touch on. I know there are people who do fashion design or industrial design or other types of design. I didn't really hit on those because, frankly, I don't know that much about them. And I've always tried to keep the scope of this one to graphic design, even though I know it does apply to other designers. So I would just say apply the same ideas. I can't get real specific because I don't know the specifics. Again, if you guys want to talk about it and you think maybe there's some other people that could benefit from it, throw a little tag up on the uh, forums and see if some conversation goes. That's always definitely an option. I always throw these topics out here and and give you my side of the story, but I'd like to hear your side of the story as well. So if you want to get the conversation going, jump up on the forums and put up a topic and just let it flow. Now that's what I call a rookie mistake. This could possibly be one of the most important rookie mistakes, and that is never to think that you know all you need to know about what you're doing. There's always something, whether it be new or old, to help you grow as designer. And what I mean by this is, I think we always know that there's something new coming out that we need to know. There's always going to be something new in our profession that we don't know yet. This happens because new software comes out all the time, to say the least. But new tricks that people find all the time come out. What about old stuff? What can we learn from the old? Well, maybe go back a little bit uh, before computers or before the digital age. And you can learn things that way too. Maybe learning about, and I I mentioned this last week, I think, uh, camera-ready art. And if you don't know what that is, go ahead and read up on it. (laughs) If you have never done it before, it's pretty interesting. And some people actually do still use it. But it's something that doesn't really appear too much these days. And there are things to be learned from that. Uh, Another thing, if you're shooting either photography or film, actually use film. Uh, There was a time, if you can believe it, where people actually used film, and they still do, and, you know, instead of digital. And there are things to be learned from this as well, because the processes are much, much different to get to your your final process. And uh, there's a reason why they do this. If you go to film school, usually they'll make you shoot film. And there's a reason for that, because there are things that you can learn from that, rather than just jumping on the computer and doing everything the way we do it these days. Things are getting a bit out of hand. Looks like it's time to go to the bullpen. Speaking of You Can Never Know Enough, uh, I found a new video podcast, and I think it's pretty good. I thought I'd point it out for our bullpen entry today. It's called Photoshop Quick Tips. Uh, It's apparently a very popular name for a quick tip show, video show. Anyways, it's a nice little resource. It's more really on the effects side of Photoshop rather than actual training or or how to do certain things. It actually shows you effects of how to get different effects on photos. But uh, this thing looks like it just kind of started, so you can jump jump in on the beginning stages of it. You can find it at sealydesigns.blogspot.com, or you can just search for it in iTunes or your favorite aggregator. And of course, I will have this link up in the show notes, as I always do. So what do you think of the current topic? 
Again, I would love it if you guys get up on the forum after each of these shows and talk about what you feel and think about the topics that I've talked about. Again, you're only getting one perspective from me here, and I'd like to hear everybody else's, and I'm sure there's other people out there who would like to hear your opinions as well. And it really it, it can teach you even more by getting in there and talking to other people about it and just getting different aspects of it. Like we said before, there's several different ways to do everything, and knowing as many of those ways as you can is really going to help you out in your job. So again, the forum is the best way to do that. If, also, if you want to drop me a message or ask me a question personally, you can always do that. You can contact me, adam at rookiedesigner.com. You can Skype me, and I noticed a couple of people are, have added me to their contact list lately. Uh, my username is Titan Strides. You can just search for me that way and find me and leave me a message through there. You can also call the call-in line, 619-573-4043. And that actually goes to my Skype as well and, and just leaves a message that way. Again, if you are not in the U.S., you're going to have to add your country code to that as well. And you can reach us at myspace.com slash rookie designer. And I've been getting lots of friend requests there. So thanks for logging on to that as well. I want to send a little shout out to the members for making the forum so good. Everything's been going really, really great there. We have over 90 people on there now. There's some great conversations going on, a couple of which... You know, it may not have anything to do with design, but again, sometimes it's it's good to get away and just talk about other things. And, and it's a good way to get to know the other designers that are out there and what they like and what you share in common with them. But there's there's lots of great stuff there, and I think everybody's been learning a lot. And it's great to see that this community is really pulling together, and uh, things are going really good. So thank you for that. And of course, thank you for listening, tuning in, and subscribing. And just remember... Everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star. That one's high. It's got the distance. It's high.
Shit stays fine Is that a-